Well, it's great to be back. If we're new to each other, my name's Brad, and uh, I'm the pastor over at Faith Center in Aloha, strange little part of the world over there. It's kind of sandwiched between two big cities, and it's just kind of there. And, uh, and so when I came, I just got used to the culture of Aloha, and there's not as many Hawaiian shirts as you might imagine there to be over there, but there are some wonderful, incredible people. And Audrey, my wife and I, we just uh, feel incredibly um, blessed to know that we're in the right place at the right time. And, uh, and, and I want to thank these two, Carlos Ilsian, for having me here today, inviting me to come uh, back to my my, uh, my first family here in Hillsborough, and so it, it really is a privilege to be asked back, and it's an honor to be here, and I, I just, um, just on a personal note, uh, I, I just love you too. Um, I, I sense, um, firstly, you're thoughtful, uh, incredibly thoughtful, you're generous with your words, with your action, with your time, uh, you, you are, um, uh, you're spirit-led. Uh, and I could tell that from the first time that I met you. And so, um, and I know that the church is in good hands with you. And so I just, um, I just admire you both. Uh, I really do. And, and also, uh, and I was just telling Carlos that as I came into the church today, I just really sensed a spirit of renewing, a refreshing of the spirit in here, uh, a good and healthy thing for, I think, any church. And so, hey, to give you some updates, uh, Audrey and I have been, uh, have, you know, our kids are growing, uh, Mally and Viola. Mally's seven years old now, uh, and uh, Viola reached her double digits. She's now 10. I can't even believe that that's happened. Uh, Audrey and I, we're also both in our double digits <laughs> still. So we're in uh, a similar season of life, I think. Hey, um, you've been in a series called Rerouting. What a cool series this, uh, this series has, has been. Uh, in fact, I can say that because I went back and I, I watched it uh, online because, you know, when you put something online, it's there forever and anyone can see it. And so it's rather daunting from week to week to say something that you know could be out there for all eternity, and in fact will be. And so I'm going to be careful in what I say today. But I did hear uh, Ilsian, as she led open the series a couple of weeks ago, she mentioned a quote, and it just, and it has stuck with me, and I want to read it to make sure I get it right, because I always butcher quotes, but this is what she said, the long way may seem like the wrong way, but if God is leading, it's the best way. And I just love that quote, and I can certainly testify that that's correct. I may have started out going the long route to America. It's taken some time to get here. I started in a whole different place, but God had me here for a purpose for this season and for this time, and I know that He'll always get it right, uh, as long as we're faithful and we say yes to him, certainly. And so I can personally testify to that. What a wonderful quote. Thank you for saying it. Uh, and and uh, Carlos then last week continued this series on with one of really what I would say would be the most epic biblical stories, I think, in the Bible of God opening the Red Sea for the Israelites to march on through. And then he mentioned uh, Noah and a famous boat. And by the way, his quote that, that has stuck with me from the message he preached last week was, God made a way when there was no way. And let me tell you, he continues to do that today. If you believe it, would you say amen? 
And uh, then uh, Noah was spoken about and his famous boat. We all know the story of Noah and the boat. And, and then uh, Carlos mentioned how God has used the power of water. Uh, can we do that for a moment? Say water. water. Okay, okay, that's not bad. We'll work on that. Use the power of water to both bless and destroy, right? And using the symbolism of baptism, uh, Carlos then explained that God has used water, water <laughs> to both bless and destroy, right? And then use this symbolism of baptism to explain how God can both wash away dead things and yet at the same time bring about new and fresh life. To the surface. Now I'm going to try and keep all my clothes on today on stage. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, go last week and take a look. <laughs> that was fantastic, by the way, Carlos. I just loved that. No, I mean, uh, you know what I mean. <laughs> it's on there forever, isn't it? Hey. By the way, uh, those of you online visiting with us, I'm so glad that you're here today and tuning in. Uh, and, uh, and I know that, and I hope that, and I pray that uh, you will be blessed as much as the people who are here in the room by hearing God's word. Now, today I plan on talking a little bit more about water, uh, only a different kind of water. And I also plan on talking about a boat, only a different kind of boat. Uh, and, uh, and, and to start out really our morning together, uh, I, I want to pray and, and then I want to open up one of my favorite pieces of historical text in the Bible, uh, the book of Acts. Uh, I love the book of Acts and so I'm going to be talking today on Acts chapter 27. Um, and, uh, and can we can we do this together? Can we just pray for a moment? Lord, I just ask that, that you will infill this place with your blessing and your goodness. I pray today that we would have open our ears and open hearts to receive from you. I pray and ask today that your word would fall afresh upon us. I pray that we would receive it, we would know it, and we would do it. We ask this in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, since we were all here together, and I know that some of you are new to me, back in 2019, a few things have happened in the world since that point of time, uh, one of which uh, I've learned to and am still learning, certainly every single day, how it is to pastor a church of people. And I've noticed that God has brought some people into my life between 2019 and today. There have been many people who have come into my world who have struggled in different areas, who have been in, I would say, a storm of life in some way, uh, shape or form. And I think we've all kind of been in a storm of life at some, in some point, at some, in some way in our life, certainly. But there have been some people who have come, and there are some main things that have stood out to me about the storms that people have struggled with. And one of the storms that somebody, uh, that many, many have come to my church and to me to ask for prayer about will be people who are struggling with their health. And together, we have prayed and we've seen that God heals. Many have come who have lost their employment. Together, we've prayed and We've seen that God provides. And there have been many who have lost hope, and together we have prayed and we have seen that God renews our strength. 
and there have been some who have battling, been battling a, a, a storm, and, uh, and, and together we have prayed a storm of all kinds have been battling, and we've seen that God doesn't vanish. All of those people who have been battling a storm, we've seen that God does not vanish in the storm. He may be hard to see at times, but he certainly does not disappear. Currently, I'm mentoring a young man who had his life just turned upside down. And, uh, and together, he came, he, firstly, he came to my church, and uh, we sat down together and we talked. And I essentially invited myself into his life. <laughs> and since then, we have prayed and we've talked and we've talked and we've prayed and we've prayed and we've talked together. And, uh, and in fact, uh, at one point or another, he uh, let some room become available for me in his life. And we have kind of sailed through this storm together. Out here there was, bobbing around in his boat by himself in the storm. And it makes a difference when there's somebody there with you who actually cares about you and who has some perhaps ways that can be pointed toward a way out of the storm as well. And so uh, if you are dealing with a life storm today, uh, I have a word of encouragement for you that I believe God has placed on my heart to share with you today, and this is it. Storms are nothing new for God. Storms are nothing new for God. So we're going to open today uh, in Acts chapter 27. There are going to be moments where I'll read this and it'll be on the screen behind me. There will be other moments where there'll actually be a map that comes up on screen and I'll read the word. I'm a, I'm a visual learner. Are there any other visual learners here this morning? Outstanding. You're going to love today. Uh, if you brought the word with you, whether that's in paper format or if it's on your app on your phone, feel free to follow along with me. Otherwise, you can just trust in my Australian version uh, that I'll read to you as we go through in the map in Acts chapter 27. Now, if you're new to the book of Acts, here are a few things that you might find helpful uh, before we jump on in. Firstly, this story of Acts, especially in this particular part, uh, we're following a series, essentially, of international trips by a faith-filled man named Paul. Right? Uh, Paul was very religious. Uh, he was a Jewish man. He was a Roman, and is, in the story, in this particular point, a Roman citizen who opposed the message of Jesus at every turn. Until one day, the crucified, buried, and resurrected Jesus visited Paul and said, hey, it's time that we reroute your plans. Now, if the, the risen Jesus visited you in person like this and said, it's time to reroute your plans, who would say, yes, sir, I'm all about that. Let's make that happen. Jesus essentially said to him, you've been doing things your way, but let me tell you something. I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And so it's time to do it my way. And you need to trust me in this. It's going to be the best way. So the book of Acts then records really what Paul did next, what his travel plans were and what it is that he preached about and, and who it is he went to to preach the good news of Jesus, which let me tell you, often led him into trouble with those other religious Jewish people of that time, as well as some of the Roman officials and the government too. And at oftentimes, it was both of those groups of people together that he would be in trouble with. 
so I've got some maps coming up here for you. In fact, we'll put one up now. We're going to follow along on the red line as, uh, as we see some fascinating events that happens in, uh, in the fall, in October of 0059. To give some context as well as to the particular part of Acts that we are up to today and to remind some of you of the story in which we are about to kind of plunge into, Paul is currently in Roman custody. Uh, He appeared before King uh, Herod Agrippa II, uh, in in fact almost converted him to Christianity because of Paul's powerful testimony. And so uh, Paul then, during that hearing, appeals his case to Caesar. He said, uh, and then, you know, King Agrippa, he kind of stopped the hearing right there and then, and he, he decides to give a little bit of advice to the governor who was deciding the fate of Paul. He said, hey, look, Paul is innocent. He doesn't deserve death. He certainly doesn't even deserve imprisonment, actually. But because Paul appealed to Caesar, to Caesar, Paul must go. And uh, since also Paul was a Roman citizen, that uh, ensured that he would get the appropriate hearing that he asked and requested for. And so Caesar lived in Rome. Acts 27 tells us what happened on this journey to Rome. So let's read this together. Acts 27, verse 1. When the time came, we set sail for Italy. Paul and several other prisoners were placed in custody, in the custody of a Roman officer named Julius, a captain of the Imperial Regiment. Now, immediately, and we can leave this verse up here, we see a fascinating detail as to the journey that Paul is now taking. And it's in this word, in the first verse, when the time came, we, we set sail, which is interesting, isn't it? It tells us that the author of the, the person who is writing the book of Acts right now is actually with Paul. We set sail. This is how you would write a letter if you were along with the ride. So Paul was allowed a travel companion, and apparently it was the person who was the author of the book of Acts, which of course was Luke. Now, Luke is commonly referred to as the Gentile physician. Is everyone with me so far? I'm going to jump around a little bit, but I promise you I have some good points toward the end, okay? So stay with me. Uh, Paul was a Gentile physician. He was most likely not an eyewitness of Jesus in person, but he did conduct incredibly thorough, detailed interviews with the eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, uh, in, in which he writes all about in the Gospel of Luke. Right? Luke is inspiring to me because after his conversion to Christianity, he did things very differently to most. He took it upon himself to become as knowledgeable about Jesus as he possibly could. So he interviewed disciples and apostles. He listened and he compiled and he recorded and he was thorough in his note-taking. He was absolutely dedicated to finding out the most that he could about this man named Jesus. But not only that, but we see here in this scripture that Luke took action. He took action. Luke didn't wait for reports from his friend in Rome and just write to him after Paul had arrived and say, hey, Paul, how are things going? No, he jumped in the boat with Paul. See, Paul was going and Luke said, I'm not going to miss out on this. I need to go as well. I love that Luke did something about his faith. He didn't just know it, but he did it. 
And an important side note, Luke is mentioned as the, the Gentile physician, which means that he was not a Jew. And this is important to us today because this would make the two books that he wrote, Acts being one of them and Luke, totally unique from all of the other scriptures being that they're the only books in the Bible that were written from the perspective of a person who didn't have a Jewish background, just like many of us today. So I think there's a lot that we can, we can learn from the life of Luke as we read along and see uh, what he wrote about. So here's the start of the journey. And the map will be on the screen here. And then I'll read now in verse 3. And it says this. The next day... When we docked at Sidon, Julius was very kind to Paul and let him go ashore to visit with his friends so they could provide for his needs. Now you might ask, why is Paul being treated so well? Was this a normal thing for the Roman officials to just give liberty and freedom to the prisoners to go and get what they wanted from their friends? Absolutely not. This was not normal. The Roman uh, 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 commander actually gave Paul liberty for three main reasons. Well, firstly, it was certainly because of God's favor, certainly because of his favor. And secondly, I think that it was because of uh, the Roman citizenship that Paul had. Uh, I think that played into it. And then thirdly, uh, Paul was just a different kind of prisoner. Uh, I think his character was ab above reproach, certainly. But uh, I, I, what also helped is that every other prisoner was a condemned criminal, uh, likely being uh, sent to Rome to die in the arena, but not Paul. Paul was a different type of prisoner there. In fact, by appealing to Caesar, Paul essentially put himself on the boat and made the decision to be there. So... Verse 4, putting out to sea from there, we encountered strong headwinds that made it difficult to keep the ship on course. So we sailed north of Cyprus between the island and the mainland. Keeping to the open sea, we passed along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, landing in Myra in the province of Lycia. There the commanding officer found an Egyptian ship from Alexandria that was bound for Italy, and so he put us on board. Now, likely this new ship that Paul found himself on looked a little bit like this image coming up on screen, only quite significantly bigger. The boat would have been almost the length of a football, uh, half the length of a football field, and also quite narrow. Uh, it was able to transport, as we'll read, around 300 people along with cargo. The ship would have generally been used for transporting wheat from Egypt up to Rome, so it would have been an incredibly good and sturdy and reliable boat in order to make these regular trips across the open ocean. Now, unfortunately, due to this large rectangular sail, the boat, as we will discover, was not great in high winds. So they would keep their trips earlier in the year rather than later. Luke continues to record the events. Verse 7, we had several days of slow sailing, and after great difficulty, we finally neared Cnidus. But the wind was against us. So we sailed across to Crete and along the sheltered coast of the island, past the Cape of Salmon. We struggled along the coast with great difficulty and finally arrived at Fairhavens near the town of Lycia. So, Things on the water were starting to get a little bit interesting. Right? Fairhavens was a small coastal town that looks nice in this image. Who wants to go to Fairhavens? I'm there, right? 
Yeah, I think I could see the church paddleboarding actually out in this area there. It looks nice, but the position of the bay actually makes it quite vulnerable to the winter winds and the storms that come in. So it's not an ideal place to spend the winter season. It's not impossible to anchor there, but it, it does make it challenging. And the winter season, let me tell you, was no joke in this part of the world when it came to sailing. According to one apologist, Apologist Bruce, the dangerous season for sailing began September 14th and lasted until November 11. After the latter date, all navigation on the open sea came to an absolute halt when the winter was over, until winter was over. And, and this is confirmed by Luke as we read on in Acts chapter 27, verse 9. We had lost a lot of time. The weather was becoming dangerous for sea travel because it was so late in the fall. And Paul spoke to the ship's officers about it. Men, he said, again, most prisoners would not have this liberty, but Paul did. I believe there's trouble ahead if we go on. Shipwreck, loss of cargo, and danger to our lives as well. But the officer in charge of the prisoners listened more to the ship's captain and the owner than to Paul. And since Fairhavens was an exposed harbor, a poor place to spend the winter, and there's a few more reasons that it was a poor place to spend the winter. I'll explain that in just a moment. Most of the crew wanted to go on to Phoenix, further up the coast of Crete, and spend the winter there. Phoenix was a good harbor with only a southwest and northwest exposure. So they wanted to go to Phoenix for the winter. There are a bunch of Oregonians on board that <laughs> ship. They just want to spend winter in Phoenix. Yeah. Besides the sheltered cove of Phoenix, yeah, we should also mention here that, that according to historians, uh, Fairhaven's was not the most fun place to spend an entire winter, right? Apparently, crews of merchant ships, they didn't enjoy spending their time, uh, their time off in tiny little towns, and a tiny little town is exactly what Fairhaven's was. So it's likely there was a little more to the decision than just the safety of the ship, but that was certainly a concern. All that to say, there were several things working against them staying anchored right where they were in Fairhaven's, like Paul was suggesting for them to do. So, verse 13, when a light wind began blowing from the south, the sailors thought they could make it. So they pulled up anchor and they sailed close to the shore of Crete. But the weather changed abruptly and a wind of typhoon strength called a northeaster burst across the island and blew us out to sea. And the sailors couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run before the gale. The ship and its crew entered a powerful storm. And since the ship went into the storm, who else went into the storm? <laughs> Paul did. And poor Luke, by the way, who was just there along for the ride. Although undoubtedly, the crew might have found a little solace in having a physician on board, but I'm sure Luke wasn't too happy about the uh, captain's decision to sail on. Phoenix was only 40 miles away from Fairhavens. The wind was on their side. Everything seemed so possible. Everything was good up until that point. It wasn't an outrageous mission. The cost seemed really low, uh, and the price and the reward was quite high, so I can understand why the ship and its crew wanted to get there. But there was a change in the breeze. Has anyone ever experienced a change in the breeze? Oh, boy. There was a change in the breeze, and all of a sudden, their safe and comfortable plans drifted away. 
I think we've all been there. They had entered the storm. So let's see where this storm takes them. We sailed along the sheltered side of a small island named Cowder. There were great difficulty. There with great difficulty, we hoisted, we hoisted aboard the lifeboat. Behind us, they put Luke to work. Then the sailors bound ropes around the hull of the ship to strengthen it. They were afraid of being driven across the sandbars of Seritis, which is the African coast. So they lowered the sea anchor to slow the ship and were driven before the wind. The next day, as gale force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing cargo overboard. The following day, oh my, this is in the third day, or has anyone ever been on a boat with strong winds or high waves? Let me tell you, if you have not, it is absolutely miserable. I went deep sea fishing just a couple of weeks ago, and it wasn't even that bumpy. But let me tell you, at 5 a.m., I lost my breakfast. I did. But I tell people it's okay because I, I found my dinner for the next couple of months under the water. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it over. It was that powerful. I can't even imagine how miserable it would have been on this boat. The terrible storm raged, and it says, for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until at last all hope was gone. Why was all hope gone? Well, they had no way of navigating to where they needed to be or where they wanted to be. The sun was hidden, and the stars were no longer able to be seen. The sky was black. That was their only navigation system. Even if they did know which way to go, the ship with its large rectangular sail couldn't get them there. For seasoned sailors now, I mean, firstly, let me just say, they, they were in an awful position, even for seasoned sailors. What made matters worse is that these sailors, they hadn't even eaten. They were so scared and terrified of this storm. They all thought they were going to die. So their appetites went away. Now, Paul sees this, and he, in fact, encourages the sailors. He tells them that God is with them and that no one would lose their lives. Let me tell you, if I was on board that ship, riding in those waves, experiencing that storm, that would certainly be something that I would want to hear. But then I would also say, where is God? Where? All I see is these waves. All I see is a black sky. All I feel is the wind gushing against us, taking us to who knows where. We are completely off course. We are lost. We don't know how to get back. You say this God is with us. Where is he? Have you ever been there before? Do you know what I love, though? Paul acknowledges the storm. Yeah, the storm's there. But he sees the people. He sees the people who are on board. He could have easily been distracted with all the things that were swirling around him. But instead, he sees the sailors that are with him. And with that, he sees an opportunity to give hope. And he tells them to eat some food. <laughs> eat up. Things will be all right. Verse 27, about midnight. Get this, on the 14th night of the storm, as we were being driven across the sea of Adria, the sailors sensed land was near. 
They dropped a weighted line and they found that water was 120 feet deep. But a little later, they measured again. It was only 90 feet deep. And at that rate, they were afraid that they would soon be driven against the rocks along the shore. So they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship and they prayed for daylight. We're going to stop right there because, because something incredibly important has just happened. These sailors who were in the storm suddenly became men of prayer. Even if they were just praying in terms of just wishing and hoping, it was certainly something beyond their own power and control, wasn't it? These sailors who were in the storm suddenly became men of prayer. Let me tell you, before then, these sailors were not the praying type. Right? They, they were uh, an ancient Greek sophist named Lucian once wrote about these grain ships and mentioned the crew that would have been aboard, and it was like that of an army. Right? These men would have been highly disciplined. After all, they were charged with transport, uh, transporting vital supply up to Rome. They were hardened by ocean conditions and military lifestyle. They were not Jewish men with a background of faith in God. They were highly trained, experienced, and focused men of action. So becoming men of prayer shows us just how bleak their situation had become. They were being consumed by the storm. They were in survival mode. They had lost hope. They knew that they couldn't save themselves. They were at the extent of what their abilities could lend to them. But Paul, who was in the storm with them, let me say that again, Paul, who was in the storm with them, on their boat, in the storm with them, acknowledges the storm, but sees the people and remembers his mission. And at that moment, the sailors came to the realization that if they were not in control, the question needed to be asked, who was? And so they searched for him who was in control of the storm, and the sailors prayed. And this is what I believe God wants to speak to us today about Acts chapter 27. You see, there are two reasons that this part of the Bible is incredibly important and relevant to our lives today. Firstly, most of you listening, whether you're in the room or listening online, you are people of prayer. You're already a person of prayer. I think many of you could identify in that way today and say, yeah, I, I am. I do pray and I have faith. I'm a follower of Christ. And if you are a follower of Christ, you would have the desire and the belief uh, that it is important for as many people as possible to come to know Jesus as you know Jesus. The people you love, the people you like, your friends, your friends' friends, right? The people you work with, the people you tolerate, the people you don't tolerate, right? All people, even the people that absolutely drive you crazy. I'm sure you've prayed a prayer or two for them in the past. Something like, God, Jerry is the worst. Would you just come and change his life? Have you ever prayed that prayer? Sorry if you're a Jerry in the room today. But like Luke, we can't just know the theory of salvation 
and just hope it upon people. We have to do something about it. Don't we? As it says in James 2.17, faith without action is dead, right? It doesn't mean as anything. You've got to go and do something with the faith that you have. And so we know this and we believe this as Christians. And so if you're a person of prayer or a follower of Christ, you believe this to be true. And this is not the problem with faith, is it? The real problem is when to act. And how to act when it is we should step out in our faith and we should act like a follower of Christ, right? And Acts 27, I believe, is the key to one of the greatest evangelical opportunities that's available for these people like us, followers of Christ in this room, available for us to act upon. Acts 27 gives us a powerful example of when and how to act in faith, to act faithfully. You see, let me just recap. The sailors endured the storm. They went in survival mode. They lost all hope. They realized they couldn't save themselves. So they became men of prayer. Why? Paul was on their boat. Paul was on their boat. And he went into the storm with them. And while he was there, he gave them some hope, didn't he? He gave them some hope. That God was with them. In the same way, Christians, we have to be willing to get into the boat and sail into the storm with people too. The people we love, the people we like, our friends, our friends' friends, the people we work with, the people we tolerate, and the people we don't. All people, even Jerry. Those condemned criminals who are heading toward the arena of death. The self-righteous captains who make terrible decisions and leave others, lead others astray. The guarded soldiers who appear to have it all together. We have to be willing to enter the storm and give people the hope of Jesus, just like Paul did. So let me ask you, those who are already people of prayer, who is God asking you or calling you to enter the storm with? Does someone come to mind? Have you been maybe avoiding it? Because it's too much drama. It's too challenging. You've got your own things to think about. Would you let that be your prayer today? Secondly, I said there are two reasons that it's important in the worship team. You can come join me on stage. We're getting close. Some of you listening today are not people of prayer. And that may be online, that may be in the room here today, and and you need to know that you're not alone in your storm. You might be in the midst of some kind of stormy weather, some strong winds have been blowing your direction. You might feel like you're in a boat bobbing along on the ocean all by yourself. You might be perhaps in the midst of a separation, you might have move to a new place and you feel all alone. You might feel that you have no friends in the world or anyone who actually understands you. It's hard to make friends as adults. It is. You might be out of work. You might be in over your head. You might be worried about your finances or your future. You might have received a scary medical diagnosis. You might have lost a loved one. You might be stressed. You might be worried. You might be depressed and you don't even know why. You might feel that all hope is gone. The sun has been blotted out and the stars have disappeared and the sky is dark. And you're in a scary situation where you realize that there's no more that you can give. 
if that's you, you don't know where you are, you don't know how to get home, can I say what Jesus said? That he is the way, and that he is the truth, and that he is the life. Would you make a choice today to follow Jesus in your life? And, and it might be as simple, you might, you might think, well, how on earth am I supposed to do that? I can't even see in front of me. Hey, you can say something though. And oftentimes, the best prayer that we can pray, and perhaps the first prayer that, prayer that most people pray, is this one, God help me. God help me. Who's ever prayed that prayer before? Let me tell you, it's powerful and it works. And if that's your prayer today, my encouragement to you is this. Take a look around and see who might be your Paul. There may be a person of prayer who's already been praying for you. Would you invite somebody of faith into your boat today? That's my hope that we would all become people of prayer and that we would all keep our eyes on Jesus. I, I believe that the more we do that and the more we look to him in, in all times, but especially in the times when the wind shifts and our course suddenly changes in those times that we begin to be rerouted in life, we will find hope, we will find faith, and we will find the grace of Christ in our lives. Let me finish today with this because this is what people of prayer say. Now, all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Jesus Christ through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you. Then we're going to worship a little more. Lord, we just thank you for this time together. Lord, would you receive our worship as we look to you? I pray today that we would look at life for our, not only ourselves, but for the others that you've put around us. I pray today, Lord, that you would help us to see people with your eyes. And Lord, would you help us to help them with your heart? I pray, Lord, that we would choose to step into other people's boats, Lord, as you have called us to do. I pray that you would help us to care for and love one another as you have asked and requested of us. And as you have commanded in your word to love you and love one another. I pray today, Lord, for those who have found themselves drifting in a storm, Lord, would you remind them that you are with them? Lord, I pray that you bring a pull to them now into their life and that they would say yes to you again and again. And I pray, Father, that you would start to open up the sky again and let them see the sun and the stars. Would they reach dry ground and worship and praise your name? We pray, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand? Let's sing together.